You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music thinkers, and we are the dreamers of dreamers. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever, well, it didn't happen here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? My fellow Americans, it's time to speak out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their name. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. Their children were saved. Their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much, and may God bless America. It's a, a great pleasure to be here at Yale and at ISPF. Uh, I'm delighted to receive the invitation to have an extensive conversation about what I think is a uh, terrifically important subject. So I'm glad that you thought of this and, and look forward to, to the conversation coming. You, you are right that there are some dangers of appearing on late night television. Uh, after I'd done the Colbert show a couple of times, the report, uh, I ran into someone in, in a legal context and I was introduced to this person, and we were having a conversation. And she kept looking at me strangely, and she said, how do you know so much about law? 
I said, well, I'm a lawyer. She said, you're a real lawyer? <laughs> I just thought you were an actor. So I'm, I'm glad to be back on, on real legal turf. Thanks for that. Um, disclosure is a really interesting subject to talk about, particularly after the election we have just had. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that historically, uh, disclosure was often described as one of those mom and apple pie subjects where people, where whatever else they disagreed on in the political world, always ended but by saying, but of course, full disclosure. Um, they, they may not have always meant it, but that's certainly what they said. Uh, Today, the situation is different, and I think discussing um, where we are, how we got here, and where we go from here is, is worth some time, uh, because it's an important and I think interesting subject. Disclosure of political contributions and then political expenditures has been required in one form or another for most of the last 100 years, at least in federal elections. Uh, we had the Publicity Act, and then the Corrupt Practices Act, in the early 20th century, both following uh, campaign finance uh, or ethics scandals. Then we had the post-Watergate reforms, actually the 71 Disclosure Act and the 74 Federal Election Campaign Act, following the Watergate scandals. Uh, we had 527 disclosure following the 2000 election, McCain-Feingold uh, in 2002, uh, and then uh, not an act, but a Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, uh, in 2010, uh, which, in a complicated way I'll explain, actually appeared to extend uh, disclosure. Uh, so that's a, that's a century of talking about disclosure. There's obviously a reason that it went on for a century and continues today. So first, what are the rationales uh, and, and since I'm a lawyer, I'm going to look at it from the legal side of what the courts have said, and maybe the political scientists will do a better job of explaining uh, the other rationales. But from a legal perspective, what are the rationales that have upheld disclosure requirements uh, in the courts? The first is anti-corruption. The simple idea that it's important to know who is giving what to whom, who is potentially buying what. So knowing the contributions going in in particular, uh, but also the uh, source of the expenditures that may elect somebody has been considered an anti-corruption uh, rationale, uh, going all the way back to the Burroughs case in 34, and then uh, the seminal case on campaign finance, Buckley v. Vallejo, after the Watergate reforms, where the court really for the first time looked at a comprehensive campaign finance uh, regulation system and talked about what was constitutional and why. And there again, they said that there are a couple of reasons to uphold disclosure requirements, but they started with uh, combating uh, corruption, actual or apparent corruption, which they said can be combated by exposing campaign fundraising and spending to public scrutiny. So that's the corruption rationale. There's a different one, usually called the informational interest. And in Buckley, what the court said is, disclosure provides the electorate with information as to where political campaign money comes from and how it is spent by the candidate in order to aid the voters in evaluating those who seek federal office. 
It allows voters to place each candidate in the political spectrum more precisely than is often possible solely on the basis of party labels and campaign speeches. The sources of a candidate's financial support also alert the voter to the interests to which a candidate is most likely to be responsive and thus facilitate predictions of future performance in office. So this is voters will learn something about candidates by knowing who supports them. It's kind of a coding system. Uh, and it thus, the court says, provides additional information that help voters make decisions. That concept was further fleshed out by the Supreme Court in the Baladi decision, where it said disclosure enables voters to evaluate the credibility of the speaker and thus the credibility of the political message. So the concept is you see an ad, and it may make a difference to you as a voter to know who is speaking, who, who is financing this ad, and it will enable you to decide what you think of the ad. So it's a, the concept is it isn't just the message. It's who the messenger is that is relevant to uh, the voter. And then a slightly different view than informational, what you might call sort of a democracy value approach, is Justice Scalia's. And his theory is that active citizen responsibility is encouraged when citizens have to stand up and be counted and participate to be heard. His quote coming out of a case out of Washington State where the question was, did people who signed petitions have to have their names be public? He said, requiring people to stand up in public for their political acts fosters civic courage, without which democracy is doomed. <coughs> Justice Scalia always has a colorful uh, way of uh, noting things. So that's the, the, the court's overtime list of why we want disclosure. Uh, anti-corruption, uh, the idea of fostering civic courage, and informational, that it tells voters something uh, about who is speaking and thus the, the arguments and the candidates. There is a balancing aspect of this in the courts. Uh, going back to uh, the, the Buckley case and, and looking at some earlier cases, where the court has said that these public benefits of disclosure uh, can, in some circumstances, be outweighed by uh, dangers, by hardships, and that in extreme circumstances, disclosure will give way to protecting people from hardships. The extreme circumstance the court was referring to was a case out of the civil rights era of the 1950s called NAACP v. Alabama where Alabama was requiring a, the NAACP to disclose its list of members. And what the court found was uh, that this was an unpopular minority threatened by the KKK and other groups with actual physical <coughs> violence and death. There were bombings, there were shootings, and you had a state uh, where the police were not, in fact, protecting the NAACP and its members. And the, so you had the double whammy of, of people actually prepared to engage in physical violence if names were disclosed, 
and a state that was not standing in the way and uh, protecting them. And so there, the court said, the NAACP did not need to disclose its list of members. So we need to keep in mind in the disclosure argument, and there is an ongoing debate about which I'm sure we'll say more, you know, where the level of violence is, where the level of danger is to the speaker. But like everything else in the Constitution, there is some balancing. And while disclosure is important, uh, there may be circumstances uh, where there are exceptions to it. Uh, another implicit exception uh, in the sort of rubric of uh, bad facts make bad law uh, is a case called McIntyre, uh, the 1980s, where I, I, the, those of us in the field tend to refer to it as the little old lady in tennis shoes exception. Uh, but that's a case where somebody is, was opposing a local school tax uh, initiative or uh, uh, issue and put flyers under the car windows uh, in parking lots and was uh, charged by the state of Ohio with failing to disclose her identity on the flyers as state law required. And basically the court said there are circumstances where uh, we're going to allow uh, anonymous speech. We're talking about almost no money. We're not talking about an organized effort and we're not even talking about a candidate election. We're talking about initiative campaigns. Uh, they then came back in other cases and said, but that applies to basically little old ladies and tennis sneakers because if it's a big initiative campaign, we're going to uphold the uh, constitutionality of disclosure. So that's the theory. Those are the general exceptions. Where are we now? Let me talk a little bit about what, what I think is the philosophical dispute through all of that period and then get to the specifics of our current disclosure situation. The, I think the, philosophy, the, the, the issue that we face here is Assuming that disclosure to candidates and parties is generally going to be uh, required and the courts will uphold that, how much further can disclosure go? How much further can the legislature take it? Uh, where, is, where do we begin to hit, if there are, uh, the, the edges of permissible requirements for disclosure? And that really focuses on what are, are called outside spenders. The theory is you have candidates who run against each other, you have political parties who support them, and then you have everyone else uh, known as an outside interest or an outside spender. Uh, and our uh, system, as I expect the political scientists will talk about, has changed enormously and, and with considerable velocity in the last couple of years in terms of the degree of outside spending that has occurred. So, the question becomes, if you're not a candidate and you're not a party committee, when do you have to disclose? If I stand here and say something good about a candidate, do I have to disclose? Well, I may not be spending money, but if it took money to get here. If I'm an organized group, if I'm an organized group that is focused on an issue and I start talking about candidates, if I'm an organized group that focuses all my activity on elections, if I'm a group created with a wink and a nod from a candidate and my principal purpose appears to be to aid the candidate's election. Where in this spectrum do disclosure laws hit me and, and how are those written? So that's been uh, much of the, the, the current debate, and in the debate over time as the laws have been written of what to cover and, and what not to cover. Um, 
it started with candidates and parties that moved to political committees uh, under the post-Watergate rules. Uh, and then we saw in the 90s and the early 2000s a series of, again, what are called outside groups, but individuals who wanted to speak and were looking for ways to do so without having to disclose their identities. And in the mid-90s, there was a uh, small boomlet in speaking through what are called 501c4 organizations, social welfare groups under the tax code, that don't register with the FEC and report their donors. They register with the IRS. They report their activity the year after they've done it, so after the election cycle is over, and they don't publicly disclose their donors. Now, back in the 1990s, after a cycle of that, it looked from a legal perspective that C4s were an awkward vehicle for this. Uh, there were tax issues about whether gift taxes were due if you gave to a C4. Uh, the tax law required that their principal purpose had to be non-political and no one was sure what principal purpose was. And so while they were being experimented with, another vehicle appeared. Actually, it was always there in plain sight. But Clever tax lawyers, and a lot of the uh, developments in this area are created by clever lawyers who look at this and say there must be a way. So clever lawyers in 2000 said, rather than this cumbersome C4 with its tax problems, why don't we use that other provision of the tax code called 527s, which are every political organization, we know they don't have to pay gift tax. If they're focused on federal elections, they have to register with the Federal Election Commission. If they're focused on a particular state election, they have to register with the states and disclose their donors because they're what we call PACs. But what happens if they're focused on politics at large, but not one particular level or one particular candidate? Isn't there a little gray area of arbitrage here where we can say we're a 527, so we don't have to worry about tax issues. We can spend all our money on politics. We don't have to disclose because 527s did not have to disclose their donors, and we don't have to register with the FEC or a state because our purpose isn't to influence a federal or a state election. Well, that worked for one cycle. Uh, it spectacularly worked uh, in the spring of uh, 2000 when I was John McCain's general counsel for his first presidential campaign, and we woke up two days before uh, the Super Tuesday primaries to discover that a group called Republicans for Clean Air was running ads of belching smokestacks and pictures of John McCain in front of the belching smokestacks. And then it was running pictures of amber waves of grain and sunshine and pictures of George Bush. And it was saying McCain was out uh, to pollute the environment. It was run by a 527, registered to a post office box. Uh, it, nobody knew who it was. It actually took several days for people to find the treasurer who was registered to the post office box and camp outside her door. And eventually, two Texas billionaires turned up, uh, who were Bush supporters, of course, and admitted that it was their 527. But after that election, uh, the last time Congress has acted overwhelmingly on a disclosure issue, uh, Congress passed a law requiring that donors to 527 be disclosed. The fine print is, because it's in the tax code, they have to be disclosed or pay a 35% tax as if it were a uh, corporate uh, tax. But that changed the situation for 527s, and we got back into the C4 world. We had McCain-Feingold, 
uh, and McCain-Feingold came along to say basically, rather than worrying about whether it's a C4 or a 527 or any of these other things, we think that ads run in the middle of an election should disclose their donors, that the donors of those people, those advertisements should be disclosed regardless of the form they take. And so that's actually what the McCain-Feingold statute says, uh, that anyone who spend, gives to an organization more than $1,000, which is spent to run an electioneering communication, something that uh, mentions a candidate within 30 days of a primary or 60 of a general, has to disclose where the money came from. Uh, it's a pure disclosure statute. That got us through to Citizens United, and the court there uh, took what was a disclosure case. Uh, this group said, we don't think we should have to disclose uh, who gave us the money to create this uh, movie, uh, Hillary the movie, uh, because it's not actually campaign speech and thus we shouldn't have to disclose our donors. And the Supreme Court turned the case around. It said, why are we arguing about disclosure? You're a corporation, you are prohibited from spending money on this if we decide it's campaign speech. Is the prohibition constitutional? And so the court uh, asked for briefing on that and the court ended up turning the case on its head. It said, you are not prohibited as a corporation uh, from spending money on politics to elect or defeat a candidate, to uh, issue public communications, urging people to vote for or against a candidate, because corporations have full First Amendment rights just as if you were an individual for purposes of campaigning. However, they said, you do have to disclose, and that part of the decision was 8-1. Uh, the, the court said, uh, disclosure is important, and the way that Justice Kennedy restated that rationale is, is worth quote, uh, quoting. He said, with the advent of the internet, prompt disclosure of expenditures can provide shareholders and citizens with the information needed to hold corporations and elected officials accountable for their positions and supporters. Shareholders can determine whether their corporation's political speech advances the corporation's interest in making profits, and citizens can see whether elected officials are in the pocket, in quotes, of so-called moneyed interests. The First Amendment protects political speech, and disclosure permits citizens and shareholders to react to the speech of corporate entities in a proper way. This transparency enables the electorate to make informed decisions and give proper weight to different speakers and messages. So that's Citizens United four years ago. Where are we today? The 2010 elections had a fair amount of speech which was not disclosed. The 2012 presidential elections had an enormous amount, $400 million of speech where we knew the speech occurred we had no idea who was funding it. 2014, we're still counting, uh, but in some of these races, uh, you had tens of millions of dollars uh, of undisclosed speech. So where did this come from, given what I've described as the, the history? How, how did we end up where we are? Uh, a short summary, because I'm probably out of time, uh, waiting for the hook over here. But the short summary is, uh, a little-known Federal Election Commission uh, regulation, uh, which the Supreme Court did not refer to in 2010, and indeed my bet is did not 
know existed, but a regulation that had taken the McCain-Feingold law that said anyone who gives over $1,000 has to be disclosed uh, if that money is used for political advertising in the election time period. The FEC added a phrase to the law, which Congress didn't put there, that said, if the money is given to the organization for the purpose of making an electioneering communication. Well, it turns out almost nobody actually gives money for the purpose of doing the communication. They give it to a group they know is going to do it, but they don't write on the check, this may only be used for an advertisement. Further, the FEC then said, well, and when we say for the purpose, we really mean for the purpose of a specific advertisement. So you'd have to say, that's the ad I want to run. So the FEC drove a truck through the disclosure regime um, at the same time that the IRS was overwhelmed dealing with applications for new 501c4s. And you've all read the newspaper articles. You're aware that there is, depending on how you phrase it, a scandal or something going on or that did go on. But it basically has left the IRS on the sidelines with more C4s being formed all the time, very focused just on election activity, not disclosing their donors, and neither the FEC or the IRS uh, in a position to do anything about that. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. For Stitcher Smart Radio, Potable, and more. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. 